0: Welcome to the conversation. This podcast is produced by QSource as part of Medicare's Quality Improvement Organization efforts to share information, educate clinical staff, and encourage improvement through best practices. Each episode discusses a topic that is timely and applicable to you, your staff, and patients. In this series, QSource addresses adverse drug events known as ADEs. This is when someone is harmed by a medicine Pharmacist John Pouliot, Associate Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Lipscomb University, shares his experience and knowledge about ADEs in a series of conversations with QSource Quality Improvement Advisor Don Gettinger. Our guest speaker also maintains a practice site at Williamson Medical Center in Franklin, Tennessee, and his practice interests include emergency medicine, transitions of care, infectious diseases, pain management, and adverse drug effect prevention. The healthcare cost of diabetes in the U.S. is about $237 billion, and the cost of care increases as patients age. Managing diabetes and a healthy lifestyle can be difficult for those in sedentary and high-risk settings. In this episode, the conversation is about managing diabetes in long-term care, the complications of providing care, and various treatments and newer agents such as oral medications and insulin that can benefit long-term care patients. Now, let's get this conversation started.
1: So let's let's ju- jump right in, John. Um, can you give a brief overview of diabetes and then some of the complications associated with it?
2: Right, I think that's a great place to start. Um, so diabetes is, generally speaking, a dysregulation in our body's ability to process glucose. And the two main um, kind of ways that that um, presents itself is either in a decrease in production of insulin which is our primary driver of glucose regulation or sugar regulation in our body or our cells not responding to that insulin and not um, storing glucose appropriately we call that insulin resistance so decrease insulin production or the uh, a similar amount of insulin production but a decrease in our insulin's ability to have its proper effect uh, at the cellular level there are two types of diabetes. There's type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes. Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune reaction and it is much more focused, or the, the pathology of this disease is much more focused on insulin production. So the, immune, the autoimmune condition decreases the, the pancreas's ability to produce and secrete insulin. This often appears in younger patients. Uh, and it often requires insulin replacement therapy early in disease. And so while this might not be a common condition in the long-term care facilities, um, it is, it is uh, something that we see fairly frequently in the community. Uh, type 2 diabetes is much more common. It's, it's one of the most common chronic conditions in the United States. And it's often secondary to metabolic syndrome, uh, which is a combination of cardiovascular disease, weight, uh, increased weight, um, poor health, and lack of exercise. This results in both, what, both uh, insulin resistance, which typically um, presents first, and then eventually um, the insulin production becomes more of an issue over the course of time. Both of these are diagnosed by looking at somebody's fasting blood glucose serum, what the blood, or um, their hemoglobin A1C, which is in essence a lab value that measures um, the average blood glucose over three months. Um, so it gives a more broad picture of of how the person's glucose has been fluctuating. And obviously, in diabetes, there's higher glucose in the blood because our body's not able to process it appropriately. In terms of complications, um, there's there's kind of three buckets of complications that I think it's important for us to focus on. First is symptoms of poor control, which could also be symptoms of new onset diabetes, and these are generic kind of things. But it, this these things plus um, some lab testing would help us identify diabetes uh, increases increased urination. So our body is not able to process glucose appropriately, and so we're going to try to urinate out the glucose to try to get rid of it Uh, the other thing is increased thirst which is our our brain is saying i need to dilute out this glucose so i'm going to drink more water to dilute out the glucose so it's not as concentrated in my blood Um, and then some other things like blurred vision weight loss and then we we sometimes see on initial presentation um, a diabetic ketoacidosis which is an acute presentation of um, severely out of control diabetes The next bucket would be symptoms of chronic diabetes uh, or complications from chronic diabetes, and these include peripheral neuropathy, um, frequent infections, bowel dysfunction, and specifically a condition called gastroparesis, where the patient's um, gastric flow is decreased, and so they often experience nausea and vomiting and things like that. Uh, And then diabetes is one of the main drivers of kidney injury in the United States, and so as diabetes Um, continues, there's um, kidney injury associated directly. The last is uh, some of the big picture complications. And I want to kind of talk about these big pictures because we have some new agents that are really beneficial for these big picture complications. Uh, One of them is cardiovascular disease, uh, which so, so diabetes is a direct, um, is a direct risk factor for uh, heart attacks and strokes and other cardiovascular diseases peripheral artery disease is, which is related to peripheral neuropathy um, and then diabetic foot infections can increase and that has that's kind of multifactorial uh, because over the course of time your diabetes or diabetic patients are going to be um, are going to have uh, vascular injury especially in their peripheral um, vasculature and they're also going to have decreased sensation in their uh, extremities and this could result in injuries that they don't feel. Uh, and so some of the, those are some of the complications that I think will be helpful um, as we continue our discussion. No,
1: that's, that's great. I, I know one of the things that um, diabetic patients both having that in um, my family personally is always trying to wear shoes even around the house just to prevent some of those injuries that you might not feel um, like on the feet or, or prevent some of those infections. Sure. So I, there's like some other best practices um, for minimizing some of these complications, let's talk about some of those.
2: Yeah, I think the big thing is to is to educate uh, your long term care staff about some of these complications, some of the things that these patients are experiencing, so that there can be some empathy and sympathy there, right? And, and so when they say that they have a ting, their feet are tingling, or they have painfulness in their extremity, not just um, being compl- they're not just complaining, but they could actually have maybe a foot infection, but maybe an injury, um, or they're experiencing some of these complications. So I think understanding them is the first and best way to manage complications. Prevention so and monitoring are going to be two other keys to um, to these complications. And then thinking about medication therapy um, and, and how we can best use medication therapy, especially uh, in the long-term care facility, to to keep to keep the balance of not dropping their glucose too low, which can result in additional complications, but not leaving it high, which can result in um, some of the things that we've talked about. And this is a good condition uh, and not to plug my profession, but this is a really good condition to try to leverage the pharmacist um, as much as possible in terms of optimizing dosing and talking through medication use Uh, when we talked about anticoagulants, we talked about some newer agents that were available um, and and how we could get patients on them. And I think this is another subject where there are new medications that offer significant advantages to the patients, uh, especially in long-term care facilities. And so um, I think that's a good strategy for managing those complications.
1: I think that's one of the things that's come out of this whole series is that how important it is for the entire medical team to work together and to include cross specialty, to, to include pharmacy, nursing and, and frontline staff in those discussions. Um, for all of the, the, the medication classes we talk about, but I think you're right, especially in diabetes, there's a lot of opportunity for improvement in that, that method. Um, so on those lines, let's see if we can kind of move towards talking about uh, some of the medications then that, that are used to manage diabetes.
2: Yeah, there's a there are a, a ton of different medications that can be used to treat diabetes. Um, one of the so we'll start with oral agents. Um, one of the most common oral agents, and actually is something that I generally uh, think is a good agent for patients in long term care, is metformin. Metformin uh, works, on, especially in type two diabetes, works on both sides of that pathology. It helps with insulin resistance. Um, and can also uh, increase the sensitivity of insulin uh, at the cells. Uh, it is a euglycemic agent, which means it doesn't have a mechanism that causes a patient's glucose to get too low. Um, and so that's one of the things that I, I hope we can pull through uh, our, our review of these medications is that we really want to. Now we have a lot of agents that avoid hypoglycemia, avoid their, somebody's glucose getting dropped. Uh, and metformin is one of those agents. Sulfonylureas, so these are probably one of the older agents as well. Glypizide and glipizide are examples of those. I can't—they've uh, been generic for 30 years, so uh, the brand names escape me. These are agents that do cause hypoglycemia, so they—they um, they can be beneficial, um, but they often will—they often can cause hypoglycemia, especially in combination with other agents. Uh, and they typically have a waning efficacy over years. So after three or four years, uh, they will decrease in their effectiveness. And so somebody that's on a sulfonylurea for more than five or six years likely needs to be taken off of it because it's exposing them to side effects without exposing them to the benefits of the medication. Uh, Glitinides is another class of medications that can cause hypoglycemia. This would be uh, nateglanide and repaglinide. Very uncommon in practice now. Um, but they can be used. Uh, I'm going to use some acronyms and and not spell them out just because pronunciation, and this is an audio, so it might be a little difficult, but TZDs um, are uh, a class of medication. So pioglitazone or actos is the only one left in the class that's on the market, I believe. Um, It does not cause hypoglycemia, but it does have some side effects to be monitoring for. There's two new agent uh, classes of agents that I think have shown a lot of benefit and are also euglycemic. They don't cause hypoglycemia. These are DDP-4 inhibitors. And this is, uh, the example is linagliptin and Um, And then SGLT-2 inhibitors, which is the hot topic right now in diabetes management. Um, Dapagliflozin and empagliflozin, that's uh, Farcega is the brand name. Uh, these agents are have a lot of promise in the treatment of diabetes, uh, and have really taken the disease state by storm in terms of their management. So we could talk about some of the advantages that they offer for long term care for, uh, patients. In terms of injectable agents, um, there's there's two classes. One is obvious. One is insulin. So if somebody has a decrease in insulin production, eventually we can just give them some exogenous insulin and and help them maintain uh, their disease state. The other class of mostly injectable agents, there's now one agent in this class that's an oral agent, is uh, GLP-1 agonists. And the examples are exenatide or bieta and semaglutide. Um, And so these agents are euglycemic, they're injectable, uh, subcutaneous injection, and typically once to twice a week for the injections. Uh, And so the advantage that they have is uh, they manage diabetes, but they also have been shown to cause weight loss, like healthy weight loss. In fact, semaglutide has now been become FDA approved for weight as a weight loss drug by itself, regardless of the patient's diabetes status. And so, some of these new agents, we're starting to see we can use them outside of the diabetes condition and still get the benefits of, of some some of the other benefits of, of their of the agents.
1: Very personally interesting itself uh, in the weight loss category, but um, you talked about metformin being especially helpful in the long-term care setting and a few others. Um, can you talk about some of the medications that maybe are good for long-term care patients and maybe if there are some that, that long-term care
2: patients should avoid? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So I probably would have three or four different groups of medications in the, in the category of use in the long-term care setting. Metformin is one of them. It is a glycemic agent. I will caveat that by saying that it should not be used in patients with worsening renal uh, kidney function. Um, As your kidney function gets worse, um, it can, metformin can expose you to a acidosis side effect. That's pretty rare um, but as your kidneys uh, decrease in function, it, it, it can be a problem. But otherwise, metformin has decent efficacy. Uh, it can drop your A1c your A1C a decent amount, and it doesn't cause hypoglycemia. Our GLP-1 inhibitors, like I mentioned, bieta and semaglutide, are two agents that are uh, are convenient in the long-term care setting. They're not daily dosing. You can give them once a week. They might be a little bit more expensive, but most insurances cover them because of the benefit. And and like I mentioned before, there is a weight loss effect that is um, pretty pronounced. And GLP-1 inhibitor or GLP-1 agonists are a class of medications that we give to diabetic patients and we don't see hypoglycemia. So I think that's an important point is that these medications are so safe that they can be given to patients that don't have diabetes and they don't cause any ill effects on the patient's blood glucose. Another class that, that you can say that about is SGLT2 inhibitors. So this is uh, Farcega or empagliflozin. These medications are, I, I uh, you know, see papers, uh, new primary articles about them pretty much every month. Um, they were originally used for diabetes and show really beneficial effects in diabetic patients. They also are independently associated with better cardiovascular effects they're good for heart failure patients. They have indications for heart failure. So if you have a patient and in the long-term care setting, you're likely going to have multiple comorbidities. So somebody with diabetes, heart failure, and chronic kidney disease, um, these agents are are independently beneficial in those patients at reducing cardiovascular events, reducing heart failure exacerbations, and slowing the progression of, cardi- uh, of chronic kidney disease. So Across the there are beneficial agents with very low side effects and hypoglycemia. No uh, incidence of hypoglycemia. Again, we can use them in non-diabetic patients. The DDP-4 um, in- inhibitors, this would be um, citagliptin and-, and linagliptin. They're not as effective um, as some of these other agents in terms of how they can manage diabetes, but they have very low side effect profiles um, and are easily titratable. Uh, they don't um, they don't go through kidneys as much and so you can dose them in kidney disease. so they, they could have a beneficial effect. The two classes of drug that I would recommend avoiding in long-term care facilities are uh, first of all, the TZDs, which would be pioglitazone or actose is the brand name. Um, they, they don't have a they, they have a fairly beneficial effect in, in the treatment of diabetes, but their side effects are concerning. Um, they are associated with weight gain um, and specifically fluid retention. And they have been implicated as uh, being associated with worsening heart failure and cardiovascular disease. Um, as a class, uh, Actos is less less associated, but um, could be associated. And then the sulfonylureas and the um those agents that are given multiple times a day uh, and can cause hypoglycemia, there's no real reason to have these agents on, pa- on for patients. Um, if they, if they can qualify and afford some of these newer agents, um, there, it's really, the risk benefit is really in favor of stopping them in most cases. That's interesting. I mean,
1: especially in our long-term care patients, you know, those are, those are real risks. And so I'm glad you brought those up. Uh, what are some of the best practices that you found for, for insulin therapy in the long-term care setting?
2: Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. I think it's, um, Just very briefly, insulins are not all created equal. There's lots of different versions. We kind of put them into three categories, rapid acting, intermediate acting, and long acting. For our rapid acting, we have insulin LISPRO and insulin ASPART. These would be agents that we would use more for bolus dosing. Um, So uh, these are agents used in sliding scale insulin, uh, where you're giving um, a dose of insulin based on the patient's um, uh, nutrition schedule um, or carb counting. Uh, Intermediate would be insulin NPH or or Novelin N. This is an intermediate acting, which is often given in combination with a rapid acting uh, and typically is given twice a day. Uh, The the intermediate acting is going to have a higher risk of hypoglycemia. While any insulin can cause it, that would be that, and the rapid actings are going to have the highest risk of hypoglycemia. The long actings, there's three in the category. There's uh insulin uh there's, in, uh there's Lantus or insulin Glargine, and then there's insulin Degludec, which is, the brand name is Traceba, and that one offers a lot of promise. Unfortunately, it's probably more expensive, although Medicare Medicaid, I think, is paying for um, it, um, but it offers some good advantages in that it, when they studied Traceba, they actually studied it by intentionally miss, missing doses, and so, Traceba is one of the most one of the most stable medications, one of the most stable insulins, that decreases the incidence of hypoglycemia. And so, when they studied it, they actually intentionally skipped doses and then stacked doses in the actual trial um, to see if they could induce a hypoglycemia. And they compared it to Lantus, which is pretty much the standard of care in long-acting, and showed that there wasn't really a difference in hypoglycemia events between the two agents and that there was similar efficacy. So that... If you, can, if you can sell that to your providers or talk to your providers and it's affordable, um, that would be a good agent to investigate further. The thing with insulin therapy management is to, is to think about basal insulin. A low dose basal insulin is gonna help prevent those incidents of hypoglycemia because it's gonna prevent you trying to play catch up with those bolus dosings of the short acting agents. Um, and so you wanna think about a basal um, and then having some supplemental bolus, with its, whether it's a sliding scale or scheduled rapid-acting insulin. But basal bolus is the standard of care for insulin dosing, um, outside of uh, patients that are on an insulin pump, obviously. Um, the choice of long-acting I mentioned, probably Lantus is the treatment of choice, uh, but Traceba is, uh is one of those new agents that could confer extra special benefits to those long-term care patients. With falls risk and changes in diet and things like that, uh, other management strategies is to start low and go slow, um, and think about how you can kind of titrate to effect without causing hypoglycemia. Some of these, some of the new oral agents, can still be used when you have transitioned to insulin, um, especially those SGLT two inhibitors, because they offer so so many benefits outside of the diabetes in cardiovascular and kidney disease, and so. It's really it's really helpful now is that once the patient progresses in their disease state to needing insulin, it doesn't mean we have to throw all the oral agents away like we used to have to do because we used to have metformin and glipizide or glyburide, and you don't want to give glipizide, glyburide with an insulin because you're doubling the risk of hypoglycemia. Um, so now that we have these new agents that are euglycemic and offer benefits outside of di- diabetes, I think it's helpful to think about combination therapy with insulin.
1: Perfect. No, that's that's really. And um, yeah, there's there's a lot of complications and, and like you said, a lot of new new therapies that are becoming available, uh, which again just just highlights the importance of working in a multidisciplinary team um, and including in that that team when you're looking at these medications and management of your diabetic patients. So, John, was there anything else you wanted to share about diabetes or the medications involved? We've had a pretty good conversation around that.
2: No, that's all I can think about. Thank you for your questions, and it's been it's been great to dive into this a little bit.
1: Absolutely. And John, I want to thank you today and sharing this information to our listeners. I want to thank you for for being part of the conversation podcast and invite you to just check out some of our other other podcasts on our on our feed. This has been Don Gettinger for the Conversation Podcast. Have a great day.
0: Thank you for joining the conversation. If you found this conversation of interest, we encourage you to join the conversation by visiting us online at QSource.org forward slash podcasts. The conversation was produced by QSource, the Quality Innovation Network, Quality Improvement Organization for Indiana, under a contract with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services contents does not necessarily reflect CMS policy.